Damn podcast in the gaming industry. Trademark, trademark, trademark. Let's go. As you obviously know, it's Wednesday, so a new episode of us has arrived here in your ears at this moment. And it is also my favorite holiday of the year simultaneously because Halloween is exciting. And instead of me ranting about it, I'm just going to let the chorus say what the date really is. Anyway, I hope everyone who is actually an adult probably just celebrated over the weekend and got drunk and now gets oh, yeah. a trick-or-treat. So without pressing too far into it, because I'll probably mention Halloween a hundred times during the episode, let's get into... That's right. Your favorite topic. The show. The plug walk. Let's start off the top with the social media channels. Twitter, you can find us at People Like Games, or you can find Lilo over at Lilo PLG. Hit us up. Let's banter. Let's, you know, chat, interact, send us some DMs. Shout out to a fan. Speaking of. And you can also find said show that you're listening to on. A number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, subscribe, leave five stars, nothing less. Hell yeah. And a disingenuously kind review. Regardless, just subscribe on every platform except for Tidal, which might change soon. Anyway, without Lilo making any more microphone dinging noises Not my fault. we're going to kick it over to him <laughs> <laughs> for this is the talk baby uh i didn't realize so i was just gonna leave it hanging there and you know it wouldn't be our show if we didn't have a couple fuck-ups man we just if we did not have organic, awkward pauses organic, exactly awkward pauses whatever the case is at least you know this show's getting better it's iterative uh so i got the table of contents and for this nice episode on halloween we're trying to keep it simple, okay? So we're gonna be doing two segments, and that'll be the quick scope, which we normally do, cover the overarching news of the industry that we didn't cover last week and we haven't covered yet this week. So it's the week between. We're giving you the overview of anything related to the gaming industry, really. And then uh, we'll keep that to a half an hour, or at least we hope so. Then we're going to our second ever bum ba da bum inaugural second book review because everything chapter two chapter two (laughs) it is chapter two so the book review chapter two and for this particular book review we are covering console wars by blake j harris more on that in a half an hour stay tuned so without further ado actually before we get into our quiz scope let's cover the fan mail that we got and the fact that we got a little shout out and uh, we just want to give him a shout out over on PLG. I know he's listening, so appreciate that. Now, without further ado, let's get into the Switch Go. All right, first article I got for you is about Xbox. And we're rolling right into the foray into the mobile industry. Xbox apparently has really recently released some research papers that show Back in 2012 to 2014, they were researching mobile controllers. And what do I mean by that? I mean, like, literally, they were researching Bluetooth controllers that you could attach to your mobile phone so that you could play video games with much more ease. As we have covered many, many times on the show, Solo and I... And Solo has said many, many times what would come in the form of said controller. (laughs) Boom, 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 pow, pow, out of nowhere. I know you guys missed me last week, and girls missed me last week, and everyone in between missed me last week. And I'm back to remind you, I'm usually right, just like last week, even when I wasn't here. Anyway, Shazam, the return. Moving forward. 
<laughs> moving on, moving on. Moving on. We understand that uh, mobile is booming. It's the biggest market out there by far. Everyone's got a cell phone nowadays if you're in the, fortunate enough to have one in the first world. And um, now they're trying to make gaming easier because everyone's used to a controller. It's much more responsive, much more tactile than a touchscreen. And I think it just allows a different immersion into a game other than a touchscreen. So, is this crazy news? No, but it's just funny that this is for kind of four years removed, if you think about it, four or five years removed. They were thinking about this for several years and nothing came to it, but it's interesting timing, I think, them releasing this idea when we know Microsoft is trying to do streaming. So think about streaming on multiple platforms, streaming anywhere. Those kind of games uh, you'd want to play I guess. Dead. I guess part of me thinks that if they use a Spotify-esque sort of software model where they allow you to download the games offline and be okay. able to play them, then it could potentially be very competitive with the Switch because if you look at phones getting bigger, you can buy the, you know, the new iPhone XS. You know, It's not the same size screen as the Switch, but... It's a comparatively big size, and so if it's able to run through the cloud a potentially high-end game like Red Dead, then if you just give it a controller, the biggest limitation has been the touchscreen is your fingers in the way of the action, then the Switch might be in trouble. But even with that, I just reserved smash because games are flying off the shelves because holiday season's coming and speaking of some massive sales this one's a bit damn obvious i probably and actually not probably i did as well as lilo as as well as basically every gamer i know participated in the buying of red dead 2 a decade almost in the making. The game made $725 million over the weekend. Three days. Three days. That is the biggest entertainment opening weekend of all time, which is interesting given that GTA V achieved over a billion. So I want to say it's the second biggest, even though that headline weekend reads incorrectly. Is the key word there. They literally defined it by saying the word weekend. <laughs> well, you it, it depends on how you, like, box office considers a weekend Friday through, you know, Sunday. So same thing with right. gaming. The weekend should be considered Friday as well. But GTA so three days. is Tuesday through Thursday. That's oh, the GTA got released on Tuesday. Yes, there you go. Okay. So when they well. say gaming weekend or entertainment weekend, they are correct. When they say three-day span, they are not correct because GTA won. Is that fact crazy? correct, fact correct, fact correct. Ooh, and what's up? What's up? What's up? Got you. It's all got the you. better for the listeners. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's pretty wild and not surprising in the least. I plan to finally get around to playing tonight after the recording of this episode. Lilo, you played. Quick thoughts. Deserves it. Deserves the wild praise. I'm literally about to sit down with it right after this episode. Uh, yes, it definitely deserves praise. I think there's so much more to explore. I've probably played close to five to ten hours, except it's literally been riding around shooting animals because it's actually fucking fun. I know that sounds terrible, but it's the Wild Wild West and I can do whatever the fuck I want. So, uh, key thing, no witnesses. Okay, guys, just understand. No fucking witnesses, then they don't know what you did. <laughs> it's actually hilarious. <laughs> So yeah, um, love the game. So you got to play it. Please don't let this be one of those ones that I played a month after the thing, even though I bought it day one. Of the... yeah, you got you to be on the ball. Be on the ball with this one. All right. Yeah, someone who has waited for this game since Red Dead 1 came out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to very much enjoy the story before I even think about the multiplayer. Yeah, yeah. That, well, plus the multiplayer isn't coming out until later November. So we got time. All right. Let's switch some gears. Which is also an interesting concept. We'll talk about one day. True. That's true. We will probably cover that next week, I'll say. Um, Switching gears to something else that's coming out in November. If you're a fan of creating games and you enjoy our spotlights of the indie world, uh, if you don't know what a Raspberry Pi is, you should get in the know. Raspberry Pi is a little device that you're able to code and machine. Sponsor us. (laughs) Raspberry Pi in general couldn't sponsor us, but I think... The, the hardware, their, their producers probably could. Yes, that'd be great. Um, Raspberry Pi Press 
is launching a new magazine that is targeting wannabe gamers and showing them how to forge a career in the gaming industry. And this is a magazine called Wireframe. So Wireframe is going to feature some traditional game coverage that you'd normally get from like IGN or GameSpot or whatever. But it is also going to dive into how video games are created and sort of the, the know-how and what goes on behind the scenes. Sort of what Solo and I are trying to capture on this podcast as well. It's a really interesting idea. It's selling for three. Don't even know what that symbol is, but it's an L and it's European, so it's starting in Europe. Anyone can read the magazine for free online, which is interesting. So you can pay for it, but you can get it for free online. And they are offering the first 10,000 print copies for free for the first people that claim them. I am trying to claim them. I've already reserved, I guess, a spot, but I don't know if I'm going to get it. I'm trying to read this because they're delving into the indie aspects of gaming and literally kind of giving people a tutorial of all the software and tools that are available to you right now on the internet to create a video game. So for anyone who's a fan of indie games, anyone who wants to dive in and get experience in that industry to make the jump into AAA producing and publishers and whatnot, like this is, this is a great foray. This is a start, and I think it'd be awesome for you. Thoughts? Super facts. Growing industry. If you love it and you've always been interested, it is worth checking out. It's the same way sort of Code Academy works if you are interested in sure. programming. Yeah, absolutely. Gives it you gives you building blocks. Exactly. The build, it gives you an initial taste of something that, you know, then you'll realize whether you, you know Fuckers. want to pursue it or not further. Yeah. So... I'm all for these things. Raspberry Pi is awesome. It's only $35. It's basically a miniature computer. Yep. Buy you it. Code Support them. You, want. you can do so many exactly. cool Anyway, speaking of a story thoroughly unrelated to this one, <laughs> The Legend of Zelda <laughs> might be coming. <laughs> I mean, that's my smooth transition from now on. But <laughs> the... And sorry for the sniffling throughout, but I'm sick, so... I'm sniffling, it's and I'm not going to edit it out because outside. that should be difficult. Anywho, the Legend of Zelda TV series might be coming to television. Um, might be coming to television. Uh, might actually be a thing that is happening. So the producer of the Netflix Castlevania series, Adi Shankar, um is reportedly going to be making the show. This is set to be an announcement potentially on November 16th. Granted, this should have been a potentially rumor mill-oriented topic. True. We're streamlining, so it's all getting thrown under the potential scope. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that'd be curious. I do not think it would make the best of television shows. Uh, however, if they go animated, it's different. Live action, please God, no. <laughs> what do you think about a potential animated Zelda series? I'm not uh, like a diehard Zelda fan, so I don't really have a take on this. I would say they have a lot of storyline to work with. There's a lot of lore, definitely. Especially, dude, we both played Breath of the Wild, and spoiler alert if you haven't fucking played it, there is no fucking story. You can make whatever you want in between. That's the whole idea. And I think that it ain't is that a good very of a cool game. Approach. Wind Waker is better. Wind Waker, I would say. I don't know. Please man. at it's us, different. people like games. Hey. Right? <laughs> Just discuss. But overall, I'm a fan of video games getting adapted. I think this would be a better one than other options. Remember how we always get upset with the choices and like, why are you fucking making that movie or why are you doing this? Making a Monster Hunter World movie. Hopefully it's great, but I don't think so. So we'll see, they're smarter in some instances, like the company that made or. Uh, the company that made the uh, Minions movie should have a hand in making the Mario movie, you right. know? So making like a animated movie instead of make a live action movie. Yeah, so you can do more. You can absolutely do more, but uh, we'll, we'll see about this. Uh, exactly. It's whatever. Plus, again, like you mentioned, it's a rumor. I don't know if it'll happen. Netflix is doing a lot of shit this day. I wouldn't be surprised. But. Nintendo's Nintendo's always, uh, you know, doing interesting things as of late. I wouldn't be surprised if they license for television shows. If they're doing for movies. Well, they uh, made some bad decisions before, so we'll find out. We can cover that in the level yeah. review. Um, speaking of Nintendo, though, I think books, let's books, books. flip this over to the next topic, and that is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, if you don't know, is coming out next fucking month. And 
It's amazing because Nintendo has Nintendo Direct and coming up this next weekend, aka in two days, just kidding, it's not really the weekend, it's in two days, November 1st on Thursday, uh, Nintendo Direct will be airing its finale of information for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. So it's going to be airing at 7 a.m. Uh, Jesus Christ Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time, but it's going to be focusing 40 minutes on Super Smash Bros. Ultimate and the final reveals before you can expect the game to come out, which will be out later in number. Uh, there's not really much to say except go on the Twitter. You can see Nintendo of America advertising the shit out of this. And uh, Game's out in December. It is. Oh, it's okay. So it's out next month. It's out in December, December 7th. You're right. You're correct, sir. But Back correct, back correct. They have, uh, they're giving you a one month teaser. They're giving, they're laying it all out really. And I think it'll be a good thing. Driving the hype up before the holidays. Expect a lot of kids to open that up on Christmas Day. That's for sure. So be sure to go and pre-order that game because you will find out why you should probably pre-order that game later on in the show <laughs> if you stick around for book review, book review, book review. Yep, 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 anyway, yep. enough of plugging that goddamn shit. Just wait till the end when we get there. Anywho, on to some of that information I know you've been missing from us. That's some financials. Epic. Oh, oh, you know. Speaking of, speaking of, speaking of them, I miss, I miss Tencent. Just kidding. Tencent's about to be in the story. So, Epic Games uh, raised one point two five billion dollars. I'm sure you've already heard of it if you are familiar with the gaming industry, and if you are only slightly acquainted, consider yourself in the know. And the real big thing about that is the fact that. Yes, they're probably worth way more than that because they churn out money every single month, which is something if you go back into our episodes, you'll find out uh, when they announced their $100 million esports quote unquote venture for Fortnite. I was like, well, that's a drop in the bucket at the time. And now it further proves it. But it only took them five different uh, venture capital firms to be able to make that amount of money. Uh, and that includes now a list of Tencent, Disney, and Endeavor as well. But as much as Epic Games, you would think, is independent because of everything that they have to offer, including the actual Unreal Engine, which is a major proponent of uh, or major foundational uh, programming language in gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they actually ended up selling in 2012 a little over 48% of the company to Tencent for $330 million. A recent Bloomberg analysis put the company's value this year at between 5 and $8 billion. So money, 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 money. for Tencent. So I know it's been a rough one for Tencent, but welcome back to the club. We missed you. We missed you. Dude, they never left. <coughs> we just thought they did. Market fluctuates. They're making so much money. It's all right. Yeah, basically. It's only on the up and up. We're only going to see, as we've said many times on the show, a number of records breaking because more and more people are gaming than ever before. So more games are going to be... So everything's going to be more sold than ever before. Microtransactions, hashtag, inflation, all But the shit. question is, is there a crash? Is this a bubble? Never. Uh, Never. It's been going on since the 80s and it's continued. And it's just different, different scale now. It's definitely a different scale, but we'll cover that in a bit. All right. Next topic is something that Solo and I are thoroughly excited for. Something that has been in the works. We've been trying to do it. There have been third-party options to do this. However, you haven't been able to. Like, rather, if you weren't that tech-savvy or you didn't care as much, you were sort of waiting for Twitch to get shit together. But finally, Twitch has unveiled a squad stream option. If you don't know what the fuck I mean, I mean, you and three of your closest friends can stream together and someone can watch all four of you at the same time. You could have a quad fucking screen. Yeah, it's actually really, really cool. A really, really good idea. Also, way too long in the making because Twitch has been out there for a while and has been the number one streaming hub. So I don't know why they hadn't thought about putting this option together. They were able to do it. Um, you know, if you ever saw a D&D stream or some other gaming streams, there were two-in-one boxes. And obviously, 
Um, after filming or in the uh, post edits, people can put boxes together and it can make it seem like they're playing together. But long story short, Sol and I have plans for this in the future. And that's all we'll say about this. Um, in other news, Twitch CEO Emmett Shear, aside from announcing the squad stream option coming out for Twitch, also announced there are new moderator tools. New moderator tools that allow the search and deletion of trolls in the channel. You essentially, any moderator has the ability to go through and click on a user to see what their history is, how long they've been a Twitch user, how long they've been in the channel, what comments they listed in their comment history, so that you can easily, more easily rather, identify those trolls who are just blowing up your stream and um, blowing up your chat and not necessarily being conductive to the environment that you want to share. Separately, he also announced new features in Twitch Rivals, which is launching a new way for streamers to challenge each other in matches. And this means that viewers can see the action on the streamer's own channel. And essentially, it allows streamers to interact with each other and with the users all at the same time and challenge each other real time while on stream. So it's, it's a cool feature. All this is sort of cursory. It's a high-level overview. More details are to follow, but we want to give you the heads up that if you are a streamer and you want to stream with your friends, you can all do it together. Got any thoughts? Yeah. Are you super pumped? Um, I'm super pumped. It's something, yes, as we mentioned, we've we've talked about for a while, and there's been a lot of um, shitty alternatives, I guess is a good way to put it, or not shitty. I, I would say not, not fully developed alternatives um, yeah. that would be in the motor switch, but simultaneously... <laughs> It's fair to say Twitch is a bit oversaturated at the moment, so we may may not end up there. We might hop over on caffeine because what they got going is sort of interesting. I'd be curious to be part of more of a growing movement such as ourselves rather than to be sort of on Twitch's uh, thing. But, you know, it is curious see. to see why see. it took them so long to make that turnover. And that actually brings me to a different competitor who actually – to a former competitor, rather, who thought a little bit differently, and that is Discord. So even a couple of months ago, I guess there was a fair argument to be made that Twitch and Discord had sort of overlapping space in in the medium where they were both sort of used as a voice chat, but Twitch had content, and Discord sort of had a community board feeling to it. That's what we had talked about. That's what yeah. I had sort of pushed for, and yeah. now... Yeah. You know, in the past couple of weeks, we mentioned the Discord had decided to start selling games. The store beta went live worldwide just last week. And now, apparently, they are trying to advance it a little bit more. So from pivoting from a Twitch competitor to a Steam competitor, while being simultaneously a relatively Twitch to being a Skype competitor as well, um, it is now trying to give the ability to offer games offline so you wouldn't have to launch Discord to be able to play. Mm -hmm. The question right now is whether DRM is going to be used. For those not familiar, that means digital rights management. It's just code that can be put into the game, uh, games to limit where they can be installed, etc., how they can be installed. Um, but so far... According to Discord, they're leaving it up to some of the developers. That's according to Rebecca Valentine over on GamesIndustry.biz. And it's curious to see uh, Discord is sort of like WhatsApp. It just is a wonderful company that just garners goodwill and sort of does some smart moves. But um, formally, WhatsApp, now they got bought by Facebook, so that's a different question. So. Um, <laughs> I'd be curious. I, I'm Discord. I'm I'm curious to see how see how all this plays out. So, I'm gonna refrain from any judgment <coughs> and just report that shit. Okay. Um, That's all I got on that. Yeah, I mean, what about you? Selling Thoughts? games. You want people to play them offline? Just makes sense. Uh, you know what else makes sense? We released news many many weeks back about Rumor Mill and how the Elder Scrolls will be coming out for Bethesda. Well, in case you're wondering when it's coming out, well, it's not coming out any fucking time soon, that's for sure. Why? Because articles have come out revealing what people inside the industry understand about Bethesda and 
talking about how Bethesda takes a long time to release games. And if you wanted to do the math, which I did, uh, Bethesda released Skyrim in 2011, then it released Fallout 4 in 2015. And this is Bethesda Game Studios specifically. Now it's releasing Fallout 76 later in November uh, in 2018. Take a long break. The next game they announced was Starfield and then Elder Scrolls 6. If you imagine at least three years between the two, you're not expecting Elder Scrolls 6 until the next gen of consoles. And this is no surprise, but we just want to give you the heads up. Don't hold your breath for Elder Scrolls 6. Don't hold your breath for the next chapter because it is going to be a while and we'll probably see that on Xbox Scarlet. You got anything, Solo? Yes. I am not surprised because these games take now at this point probably half a decade, if not more, to be able to develop properly, but I'm sure they can get half a decade's work and in two years shout out to rockstar <laughs> what, that too. what? <laughs> crunch hours okay okay i so got gotcha. get exactly man hours force, wise yes exactly. If we're talking about I, exactly. weeks, no yeah no i'm talking about man hours wise okay come on catch with the joke bro come Dude, on your users at Lilo plg makes throw no some sense. tomatoes at this man for not being just, quick enough just you're terrible just, just terrible <laughs> but regardless speaking of cloud that's the future and EA thinks so as well. They are actually going into a, a slightly more interesting direction as well, launching a cloud-native development platform called Project Atlas. You okay there, I sort of thought, yeah, I'm sort of catching a cough. So do you want to uh, catch this? Uh, you want to finish this one off? Uh, <coughs> to be honest. It was your article, Just kidding. Man. I didn't even read it. <laughs> Just kidding. Wow, look at look at look at Lilo saying super super form. I got a little water in my throat, so now we're chilling. So Just gotta be honest. Basically, it is trying to merge cloud um, the cloud engine alongside its game engine, which is called the Frostbite engine. And basically that would create okay. the ability to simultaneously create and launch the game in the cloud, Makes which sense. would base cut out a roadblock which is i guess the lag connection or, or or access to the technology it just makes the game that much quicker as streaming becomes the predominant form which you know if people have been saying digital is going to be predominant streaming is going to be the main way of gaming within 10 years without a doubt and so as long as everyone has an internet connection if you don't as long you're as you luck <laughs> then welcome to the fact that that's how it be sometimes and that's about uh that's about it it's a uh, curious to see um you know as much as people see these developers and publishers as just video game companies they're actually pretty much high-end technology companies as well True. that develop very sophisticated softwares <laughs> To be able to create the intensely sophisticated games that they do make so always interesting always uh curious to see a different element of the gaming world and uh you know hopefully we could uh, follow up more on things like that in the future which might be coming up very soon very soon new beginnings anyway let's move on here to our last story and that's something you already know this is sort of like a mini final app, to be frankly honest. That's the PS1 Classic. And the lineup was announced, 20 games. Lilo, what do you think? Uh, of the 20 <laughs> games, I think I've only played... I mean, I was super fucking young, but I played like four of them. Pretty sweet. I like how it's preloaded. It also shows you, <laughs> dude, the fucking size of these games. We thought they were the end-all be-all as kids, but you realize how fucking small they are compared to today's games. Like, Red Dead Redemption, 90 gigs. Like, what the fuck? This shit, yeah, all these seriously. games are less than like 20 gigs, tops. So, it's insane. Um, R.I.P. Kingdom Hearts. Right? R.I.P. Kingdom Hearts. Uh, <laughs> my favorite one would be either Twisted Metal, Super Puzzle Fighter 2, Turbo, Rayman, or Final Fantasy 7. What about you? Tekken 3. Uh, obviously. Um, yeah, Resident Evil 2. I'd say that. Let's see. Grand- <laughs> Excuse me. Cool Borders 2. 
Um, I, wow, that, I guess I never really was a big Final Fantasy VII guy. I like Final Fantasy IX a lot. Um, I guess Metal Gear Solid. That's about it. I, I, I would have, I guess Oddworld makes sense because it's the first game I remember. Crash Bandicoot would have been nice, but I'm sure they weren't allowed to do that. Right. Gran Turismo, maybe Harry Potter game. Yeah. Dude, like, Twisted Metal was the know. original Battle Royale, man. That game was so fucking dope. Yeah. That was awesome. That's, it was awesome. That's a game that can make a great comeback. That could know, make a great, a car <coughs> Battle Royale. That's what people need. They don't want people running yeah. around. They want cars. That yeah, exactly. That, that's what I thought. It, it like a twisted metal black version of Rocket League. Dude, anyway, we're writing it down. We're talking to Sonics. We're gonna get some uh, some money out of this. Yeah, get that partnership going. Give us our cut. Let's keep it moving. Any mm-hmm. other companies that are interested, shout out Uniqlo slippers. Send us some shit for free. Shout out Anchor Chargers. Send us some shit for free. <laughs> Everyone send us some shit for free, please. Thank you. Who else we got? Who else we got? Mango. Duolingo. There you go. I just use your app, so that shit's real good. Duolingo I don't got anything I want from you. If you want to learn a language, Duolingo, Mango, check it out. Anyway, lead us into chapter two, Mr. Lulo. I got you. That was the other quick <coughs> And now you get to chapter two of the book review. Yeah, that sound cue is still in process. We're trying to figure out what sounds the best, but we're going through this. And uh, what's funnily enough is just we're going to have 30 minutes of banter back and forth for you. I think... Um, Sol and I are going to talk about three to five main points each, go back and forth, probably remark on different things. I mean, the best part is we're the About the book Console Wars by okay. Blake J. Harris sure. for yes. the second book review, which is a series that we launched, um, which where we try to find the best books or great books that are about gaming. Our first yeah. one, we covered uh, Blood, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. Pixels by Jason Schreier. This one's by Blake J. Harris. Episode 41. <laughs> Go back to episode 41. Check it out. Exactly. I don't even know when that was. That's why we was here. He's our... He's our... Uh, Consigliere? He's our brains. That's and then I got... I appreciate the brains. Then I got... Next month, we'll have our chapter three. I think we're going to try and incorporate this once a month. Seems like a, a relatively plausible, doable thing. And so... Anyway... This was a book that came out in 2014. We will give them a quick brief synopsis, and then we shall jump into Your whatever points? it is we were going to banter about. <laughs> fair, fair. That makes sense. Yeah, so he did a much better introduction of the book because y'all should have read it. Just kidding. You wouldn't have read it. Um, this book, Console Wars, is a book about the relationship between Nintendo in the 1980s and its competitors namely sega and how sega's rise to power i mean 80s and 90s really it ended in the 90s but it started in the 80s for sure you're right get your facts right (laughs) uh so going back like nintendo if you didn't know was part of the original gaming boom it started with atari and going through with all these different games but Nintendo really forged itself and made itself dominant in the industry. When I say dominant, I don't mean like, yeah, they had 51% of the industry. No, I mean, they they literally had 90% of the market share of all video games in the 1980s. Everyone knew what Nintendo was. It was in every single store where you could buy any electronics. It was the end-all, be-all of gaming. And then 10% was shared by other X number amount of companies, right? Well, that all changed when a company named Sega, aka... Sega! 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 Yeah. The most crazy commercials so you might have seen as Halloween, a kid. Halloween. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> Sega! <laughs> that fucking sound has stuck with my childhood. Sega made a run and really challenged Nintendo, forced them to adapt their game, and sort of led into this next golden age of video games, which is insane. So, this book covers that whole process, does it in a very, very interesting way, I think. So let's just cover overall thoughts of the book itself. What do you think? Highlights. And then we can roll right into the main points. <clears throat> well, I'm someone who very much likes to read these sorts of books in the sense that 
uh, nonfiction books about companies, businesses, individuals, historical events, etc. Sort of my wheelhouse. So it was something that I did enjoy because there's not a lot of these types of books uh, in 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 the field per se. You know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of great books, but there's also not a lot that have a, a sort of written narrative like this where right. it's sort of more focused on the business aspect and and the company competition aspect i thought i thought it was super interesting because it's a, something i've always been uh, it's something i've always been curious about which was how these sort of competitions worked out how the businesses were structured how the angles were set and it even plays into the importance of knowing history because you know, the battle between Nintendo and Sega ended up creating the ESRB. And that is something that was a function of almost being legislated by the government. That's something I get super focused on. And then to see the correlations to now, which is why I always say to them, either self-regulate or get regulated, you have the same exact situation where something is bubbled up that can be put away. So that was curious. I was always curious to see how Nintendo was created because that's not mm-hmm. a story that's well known. Yes, everyone loves the characters. Yes, I know how Mario and Zelda were created, but I want to know how the Nintendo company was created, you know, from right. being shipped, you know, et cetera, which what we'll get into. What their mindset was moving forward. How, exactly. How Sega came out of nowhere, what their marketing strategy was. Then it sort of made a lot of sense to me as I, as I read the book. Mm-hmm. Um and then just to have information, you know, it's always important to know the history of the field so you can pay homage. Whereas do a lot of people here in this book that I would did not know about <clears throat> by name before and whose names I, I won't forget and who hopefully <clears throat> we can one day get on the show. That's true. I think you bring up a whole bunch of good points. Um, I'd say overall, it is a nonfiction book written in t- like it's fiction almost right and that's one of the things that both solo and i noticed um blake j harris does a great job of getting you invested and involved he makes it a very interesting read and i'll be honest i'm not a non-fiction type of guy like solo knows he makes fun of me i listen to i, I read unicorn books i read all unicorn fantasy books. science fiction novels that, that's my genre that's what I, my go-to super and facts those are designed to be engaging they they build lore there's a world around it What's insane is that Blake J. Harris does the same thing with this book, except it's real. Most of the things that happened here, there might be some hyperbole here or there. Pause. The 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 language of every all the dialogue in the book is of suspect nature as to its utter validity. (laughs) Exaggerated is a liberal way to put it, but continue. Yes, and I agree that. The language is almost too convenient, and we read some reviews online made up shit. that agreed with us, like, I would say. Come on the show, Blake. We like you. <laughs> Just saying. However, he did say in the foreword, Blake did mention in the foreword, that he took the events, and because it was of such grand scope over six or seven years, per se, he had to boil it down, right, to its finer points. And he did that by essentially con- making conversations concise and using language that reiterated what the whole feeling of that idea was or reiterated the whole feeling of um, a meeting or sort of a segment, a period of time and boil it down to language between two characters. And so like what's always mentioning is like, there's some lines that are just fucking too witty and too spot on for anyone to actually say that in that given moment, there must've been much more going on behind the scenes. I don't doubt that some of the things actually happened, but a lot of it was definitely boiled down and made very, very specific in essence of pushing the story forward. So it's one of those one of those things that I find very interesting. Overall though, super engaging, insane that all this shit actually happened. And biggest thing, there are so many players. Like we, we follow the book. So the book is really narrated through um, Sega's eyes, right? You're seeing it from the president's point of view, John Kalinsky. Kalinsky, I guess you'd say, and his family and how he started at Sega and became president and really changed everything for them. But uh, what's crazy to me is how many other players were involved. Like Sol and I were thinking about the gaming industry and you always hear about these one or two names. You hear about Apple. 
and you it's fucking Steve Jobs and maybe Wozniak. That's it. But there are hundreds and thousands of people everywhere else and all the pieces had to move together cohesively to get that product to where it is. The same thing happened in Sega and that's what you see and that's what Blake does and it's an insane effort and narrative that goes through together and that's what I appreciate about the book for sure. There is every person who is integral to this event described in detail their motivations, their habits, their their life and their specific impact for whatever company they're working for, whether it be Nintendo, Sega, or Sony in this case, which we'll touch on a little bit. What do you think? Do you, you get where I'm coming from? I do. Um, from I, 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 I liked it a lot. I thought, just as a strictly informational standpoint, I, I found it worth reading because you find out about a lot of people that, as you said, were very important in the industry and, and are worth knowing, and you can't find out about them without reading shit like this and so um you know hearing about uh minaru arakawa who was the vice president of nintendo who basically was the guy <laughs> sort of Nephew behind the renaissance of nintendo here in america and it, that was worth knowing and tom kalinsky who was the uh <laughs> For better or worse, I guess the protagonist of the story. Yeah, I'm stupid. Through his uh, perspective, you see the whole uh, thing, and he's a former uh, executive CEO at Mattel, Mattel. a toy company, yep. and then he comes over in the beginning of the book to Sega after being recruited by the uh, chairman of Nagakawa. the company, Nakayama. Jesus, and I can't even read. <laughs> look at this man. Look at this man. So racist. Embarrassing, so embarrassing the book review. But um, after being recruited on the beach, and so whimsical story short, he ends up coming on, and he ends up leading Sega's uh, marketing push, in essence, to be able to make a dent in Nintendo's market, as Leo had mentioned uh, was almost, I guess, like 70, 80%, 90% at that point, even in America. And after, you know, creating a, a character that they thought they could compete with Mario, which came in the form of, uh, as you obviously know, and whose sound of coins being lost has slipped my mind and is now suddenly going to be a sound cue from now on. Uh-oh. Why didn't we ever think of that? Son of a bitch. <laughs> That's good. No, one. no, no. When the coins get lost, uh, you get hit. About you, lo- you drop your coin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I gotcha. When, <coughs> when you hit but, a, a fucking yeah. spike. Yeah. Yeah, but regardless, um, that should be the want want. Uh, anyway, they see what it is. We're brainstorming on the show. It's iterative, baby. Until it's the beginning again. True. But anyway, um, as I was saying, he ends up coming on, and it's just about the way. Sega ended up positioning itself to compete with Nintendo. That character they created, obviously, was Sonic. Uh, and the way, you know, you, everyone's like, well, Sonic versus Mario, that's interesting. No, it's, like it's even more in-depth in terms of the way that they decided to package Sonic with the console instead of selling the game separately because they wanted to move more consoles and if people had the console and the game they'd be less likely to buy a nintendo (coughs) versus you know trying to cut out nintendo's big announcement by suddenly announcing that the console without any game was only 99 dollars, or creating an in-your-face marketing campaign versus nintendo because to understand that time period, to understand that Nintendo was so dominant that they did have a, a very aggressive arrangement where all of the costs were up front. Um, the games had to be approved by Nintendo. The company had to give you know almost ten to thirty percent of their revenue. They had to buy the cartridges from them as well. So they basically had to buy everything from them and then pay them. A percentage of everything on top of it without any option to do anything else yeah and then on top of it nintendo and this is why i had mentioned pre-ordering smash earlier in the show during quickscope which was that they are notorious for under shipping so to create like a sensation or demand what do you have to do if you're a basic 
you know, you know, to have a basic understanding of economics, supply, they demand. Short the market, baby. That's Boom. what they do. And it's an artificial shorting that creates a sensation, and then you meet it. <laughs> but sometimes that idea ends up backfiring, and you end up being too short, which ha- was the case at times for we, but they end up being fine. I expect that to be the case this holiday season, as gaming is sort of reaching a fever pitch around you know, the world. Gaming has arrived for all intents and purposes. And so the people like games. Hey. Anyway. <coughs> Dude, as I was saying. Um, I was going to say, you, you brought up some good points that I just want to hash on real quick go. before you, you go. One thing I think we didn't mention is just like, um, like Sol was saying, Nintendo had a vice grip on the industry. They were ruthless. They literally were non-negotiable in anything that anyone wanted to do. They limited creativity. They they stressed quality over quantity, which is great, and that's what you want to hear. However, they only thought that innovation and ingenuity and good ideas came from Japan, which really strangleholded the market because you expected this one culture to appeal to a larger market, which is the United States, right? Uh, what Sega tried to do was to market that against them and to show them as being tailored to only kiddie games. They're not being cutting edge, not being cool, all that stuff. And Sega did a lot of good things. You brought up a good point. Sega knew that the only way to compete with Nintendo, like Nintendo being this worldwide brand that everyone knew because of Mario, was to come up with a character. And that's, I think, a point we didn't stress enough. The book does a very good job of explaining how Sega actually came up with Sonic. The Sega of Japan came up with a character who happened to be, I think he was a guitarist, a guitarist, weird looking dude. And uh, what was really funny is they sent it over to Sega of America where John Kalinske or Tom, Jesus Christ, Tom Kalinske was there and he was the one who saw it and was like, this is not going to fly with American audiences. So with American audiences, he and his team revamped it came up with this guy Sonic and had to go back and push Sega of Japan to adopt this new mascot. They knew they needed a mascot to battle Mario and that was the only way it was going to work and it happened. They also happened to have good engineers who made a great fucking game with Sonic which was incredible and made him Sonic the Hedgehog and he was fast and they marketed Sonic as being faster than Mario which it was and then they just did this it was really just this huge marketing ploy it was insane like all, all those thoughts got me thinking about it's not just Sonic, it's not just that. They took their best game that they knew would be a hit and they bundled it with their console to get it into more households. They sold this console at a loss just to get it in the house, knowing that they would have to eat that cost, except they would own that market share that Nintendo didn't have. Nintendo was selling pause, it for- pause. I got I gotta stop you right there. And, and because there's an important analogy in the book that they mentioned, which was to give away the razors in order to sell the blades. Right that is something you're seeing which is now it's give away the razors and the blades but give them the option to customize it for a price mm-hmm. and a live reel will do that but continue yeah i mean really just it's an interesting tactic and something that i didn't have a concrete example of in the real world to sell at a loss just to get the market hold which is what they did eventually sega down the line throughout the years got up to 55 percent of the market share remember Nintendo had 90% and Blake Harris talks about how eventually Sega got 55%, which is a huge step up. They went from 5% of the market and three years later to 55% of the market. Think about the aggressive marketing they had to do and the changes they had to make to really make that push, showing it's possible. But uh, I don't know. They just did a whole bunch of good moves. Um, Sonic is obviously someone in both of our childhood we, we know the name now it's not like we need to remember one of the the first handheld console i ever played was game gear it was a fucking sega game gear and i still remember the cheat code i have to use in sonic to play games that was a good point too oh man so many good so many good points but uh just sega was being advertised as the cool console i think that's an awesome idea you talking about leading into the ESRB, that's a good topic that I think we can flow into. I'm not really sure how that relates right now. There's just so many things. Do you have anything else that you want to say, like, off the top of your head? Um, I guess I guess then, just lastly, moving forward, I thought another, you know, I guess interesting, a couple more interesting parts, I guess, I guess just rounding it all out, which was the uh, fact that there wasn't really global 
release dates beforehand as gaming was right? still new and i point. thought that was very interesting and sonic, sonic 2 yep it's sonic 2 was the first game again sega was fully a product of ingenious marketing ingenious and aggressive marketing and having sonic 2 coordinate a global release date also ingenious uh, and I guess that sort of established a standard. So that's pretty interesting to think about, even if it wasn't sort of stressed. Um, that's a good point. A lot of standards that, come out of this. A lot of this yeah, process, okay. really. A lot of things we still see, the foundation this of is, gaming. Ju- yeah. Error, this was an error-defining sort of time period. And so it's very curious to see those historical things cre- be created. So, like, you know, in that in that sense... The creator of PlayStation, you know, Ken Kudagari, I thought, uh, Kudaragi, I thought that was uh, very interesting to see that Sony had wanted to partner with Nintendo to create, to get into the gaming industry simply to be able to sell CDs because they thought that was a wave of the future. And mm-hmm. after Nintendo backed out of the deal with them and decided to partner with Philips Electronics, then they ended up trying to potentially partner with Sega, decided to back out of that as well, went to Nintendo potentially again, backed out again, and then decided, fuck it, we're just going to do this ourselves. And lo and behold... PlayStation! And that's about all she wrote on that one. Um, So that was a cool name to know. Obviously, as we had mentioned with the ESRB before, uh, just moving forward, you know, the fact that Mortal Kombat really was released, um, and when it was released, it basically uh, create an interesting dynamic because that was the first game to be released on two different consoles, SNES and Sega simultaneously. And it said like, you know, whoever sells more is more dominant, which got me thinking like, is that even really the case anymore? It, no, it's the like there's no, dominant. <laughs> there's no, it's no winner take. I guess there's always a, a zero sumness to it all. Like, is it PUBG or Fortnite? And it's like, there's a whole lot of fucking people playing all of those games. Does it really matter? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, it does. Cause we're the number one podcast. So, ooh. but no, realistically, um, you know, Seeing how Sega's turned towards accepting more violent games um, and, like, say, Mortal Kombat having the bloody features in it ended up creating, you know, pushing pushing the line too far for to a certain degree where they had been trying before. The American public. Yep, there's always a line. And when it gets pushed, it's usually just because the wrong person saw it at the wrong time. And that's how it goes. And so, in this case, apparently an aide to Senator Joseph Lieberman found out that his kid was a huge fan of Mortal Kombat, thought it was corrupting the the soul of his son or something, and went to Joseph Lieberman. And he was like, we're going to regulate you. And so... Sega and Nintendo put aside their differences along with everyone else in the industry, and they created a front that they called the Video Games Rating Console, yes. which then evolved into the ESRB, which is the Entertainment Software Rating Board. I really don't have much to say about that. You guys know how I feel. I think it's just sort of an industry group. Um, I think that what they've showed so far with regards to... The fact that the ESRB was created and the video game ratings console were created combined ended up fending off legislation from Congress. And so with the idea that they were going to self-regulate to that degree, they were able to get out of, like I just said, actual laws. But now the correlation comes to loot box where the same conflict of interest is now coming to bear, which is instead of, oh, violence is corrupting the children, it's, you know, gambling is a very real thing and there's very addictive tendencies and qualities to the way loot boxes are set up (laughs) at the moment. Um, And the way that all this is set up, especially for kids, with the same arguments of 
you know, the congressmen and, and Congress being that it's usually 12 and up playing this shit. Now I'll go like eight and up, if not younger, because of kids and cell phones and Probably like five technology. And six and up, yeah. Um, yeah, technology being omnipotent, that shit's like as young as possible. So um, loot boxes are going to get legislated because they are not going to get touched by the ESRB, which only had to do one thing once, which was form itself so it wouldn't get regulated. True. <laughs> then it cruised, and now it has to do something. It is not going to. <laughs> it, it formed itself, and Sega can always make the claim to fame that they were the first ones to start it. They started an in-house Sega regulation board or something like that. Uh, what's funny is that Nintendo was constantly doing that. That's something that Console Wars did a good job of illustrating. Nintendo was about, again, quality, not quantity, so they did self-regulation. They didn't want to sell anything too violent, too sexually aggressive, uh, anything like that. Uh, whereas Sega used that to their advantage, and that's why they marketed to all the adults in the industry or teens. They wanted to be cool. And what's cool to teenagers? Blood, sex, and violence. All that. Um, Super facts. One of the coolest parts. I'm all about the little, like, you, we pick up different things, and that's what's very interesting about reading these books. I was more interested in how they got around these certain things. So, for instance, uh, Solo was just telling you about how the, the Congress was going to come in and legislate this. Well, to self-regulate, and they knew <laughs> – what are you doing over there? Solo's just picking his nose, and I can see him. It's terrible. Uh, so, to self-regulate, Sega knew that they were going to release Mortal Kombat on both the Genesis and on the SNES, right? So, SNES – they released it, but they had to tone down the blood and gore. They had to change all the blood to gray and like change some of the, the animations so that it wouldn't be as aggressive. Great. Sega, knowing that that was part of their brand and part of their image, was like, what the fuck do we do? Like, How do we address this issue? One of their engineers came up with an ingenious idea. One of the few cheat codes you could put into your game, they'd release the game, censored, and then they would go ahead and put in a code so that you can play the game as if it was intended. But that was a bonus feature that you had to, quote unquote, input yourself. So they released Blood the game code. censored, but then they allowed you a separate door to play the game as is. That's a fucking ingenious idea. Treyway. Isn't, isn't it so funny though? Like you get kids hyped because you're like, kids, if you want to play it the real way, you got to do this cool thing and in, insert the cheat code. Up, down, left, right. Like, Game Gear is the first system that I remember putting in codes. For fucking Game Boy, game you had to use the Game Shark. What I'm saying, you had to use yeah, yeah. the extra console Game Shark, whereas Game Gear allowed you to do that per game itself. Every game had its own cheat. That's true. You start up, down, left, right, like all that shit. That was such an interesting little tactic. And then, dude, as we're coming down to the close, we have a few minutes left. I want to rattle off some, some points and see how you feel about this. Um... As we get towards the end of the book, uh, it, it seems very obvious, really. They paint a picture that Sega knew, rather the Sega president knew, that time was coming to an end. Um, Sega was experiencing record profits and experiencing this short-term success, immediate. But there's always this illusion to the future. And in this industry, if you don't plan for the future, you are going to be buried. And I think that's what... That's really what Tom was thinking. Tom Kalinsky was thinking as the president. He's like, I should feel happy right now. However, I do not. And these are the reasons why. And I like failure to adapt to the next big medium. Showing short-term gains versus long-term gains is something that I think we do in the industry. And I'm wondering, this is about a console. It's so interesting to me how we can relate this to like Epic or Fortnite or something like that. Like, now we're talking about publishers and developers, not my console owners, if that makes sense. I'm wondering how do games like Riot future-proof themselves? How do they think about the future? And I think that's what they're trying to do, but they might get buried with all the new content and all new games coming out. And it's just, it's interesting to relate these dynamics back to present day. Well, I'm going to just build off that as we move towards the tail end where we give you all a rating for our book um, and that is going to be the fact that uh, and, and towards the end of the book it's mentioned how one of the reasons Sega ended up you know declining was one 
Nintendo just had a deeper lineup of games. Um, there's just no way to compete. It was Sonic and Echo, and while there was a valiant strategy against it, Nintendo, once Donkey Kong came out, just sort of uh, Donkey Kong battled Country, through them. Donkey Kong Country, and so... Exactly, and so yeah. One one day we'll talk talk more about that, but like that was a game that changed everything and just sort of put Sega back in their place. You know, it's like when an underdog starts, you know, getting momentum, and then the the you know ice cold shot. The favorite, another three. Exactly, shot. Two minutes left. The favorite takes control. Yep. It's like halftime. You know, the adjustments come in, game over. And so in this case, you know, Sega showed that they. We're a one-hit wonder because, you know, the Saturn failed. The book doesn't get too much into the Dreamcast or sort of moving forward. Uh, but as I was saying, uh, in relation to what your, your point, uh, they talked about how one of the reasons Sega ended up deteriorating was that the Sony of America and the Sony of Japan were on such different wavelengths yes. as to, you know, what they should be doing. It could be because the American team was so successful, the Japanese team was jealous it could be you know what sort of felt like anti-japanese sentiment from the american team towards the japanese team if i'm being frankly honest it was a time period where you know people were very xenophobic towards the japanese it was the asian technology boom towards the 80s 90s sony was considered sort of a threat to american you know economy let's keep it 100 sony or sega Um, just Japan, Japanese technology. Okay, okay. Yeah. So just you know the import. That's one of the reasons there ended up being a pause when the uh, founder of Nintendo wanted to, or the president of Nintendo wanted to buy the Mariners. Ended up going, but the guy who put up majority money ended up getting minority ownership huh, because he's a minority. Huh. Regardless, back to the point. Um, the idea of. The fact that one of the disconnects was that this Mega Drive, as it was known in Japan, and the Sega over Genesis here in America, was that in America they had sort of a renaissance with the console midlife. So for the Japanese team, it was like this console six years old. Yeah, different. We got to get rid of it. Yeah. While there was sort of a fresh paint feel to th- the like just three year run for what the American team had did, and that sort of funny enough reminds me of what PS4 is doing, which is to a degree the success of this 2018-2019 lineup pushes back the need to have a next gen console for another yep. year or two Gives because you more time. and that's one of the points yeah. they covered. That's a great point. They give you yeah. more time and. Going back to Donkey Kong Country, I think what's important is that uh, Nintendo eventually changed its approach a little bit, and normally they thought only talent would come out of Nintendo and out of Japan, except they gave a white guy the reins to make a game. And the game he made with the money they would have used for a bad commercial that Nintendo was bad at because they were bad at marketing, and that was just a fact, was gave him $3 million to make a new game. This guy made Donkey Kong Country. Literally blew the water like blew everything out of the water rather um in terms of what you could do with the snes gave the console new life that was the new blueprint for future games and pushed back the need for their their next console whereas sega was trying to go for technology and that's a big big point sega was pushing technology the technology was not robust it failed nintendo was pushing quality reinvented their technology to fit the need of the the present gave themselves more time and quality went out over quantity really and marketing that's what ended up happening so so the lesson is microsoft if you want to buy yourself a year or two put out a good fucking halo game within the next year uh <coughs> infinite is gonna come out also dude remember those lineups of the uh first parties that they bought they bought a yeah that they bought studios. not the games that they're releasing hey, but regardless coming out some total what do you give the book stars uh, yeah i'm gonna give the the book i originally thought three and a half but after talking about this and all, like there's so many more talking points half an hour was not long enough i'll be honest but uh i'll probably give it a four it's a it's a good four star book it got my juices flowing it got me to think about the industry and how it relates to present day i originally thought three and a half got me more excited when we're talking about it it's, it's bumping up to a four i'm very excited that's about what book. she said hey first and foremost hey. Second and foremost, I'm going to give it three and a half. I think <clears throat> I would have given it a four had the dialogue not been so obviously constructed 
um, which like, the dialogue was great. Yeah. It was very cleverly written. I have nothing like listen that that's a personal complaint which is like it, it took away part of the interest like as you see i went directly into the informational aspect to of it um and it was super interesting to me in that sense because it's like oh look at this look at this oh that's cool i didn't know that and then some of the dialogue though i was like I, I know how difficult it is in that situation as someone who reads those books to be like, yo, how the fuck do you know what that person's thinking in that situation? You're, you're the, the person who's writing it, the biographer, I guess, of that historical event time it period. It's all in. Context. You're just speculating. Inferences, inferences yeah. context, whatever it's, you want to say, just... Making it's fucking up. guessing if we're going to really get down into the bear and keep it a buck. I, I think and it so, what could be going on. I think he paints a wonderful narrative of a very interest of a, of a very awesome time period. I think is also worth seeing <coughs> just more of this type of writing. Um, oh, for sure, you know, moving the forward. Shit out of this book. You know, and so Dude, aren't they making a movie? To that sense, to the fact that no, they never ended up making it into a movie. They optioned it into a script, but it never got made. Okay. Um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg did the foreword. <laughs> Seth Rogen, you might know from Pineapple Express. Doesn't surprise me, but so many things. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, maybe the PLG team should start hitting pen to paper. Dude, see if we can't get our own sweet. historical narrative. Yo, hit us up. Let us know if you want us to do this because we've 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 speculated on whether we should do some like historical dives like this. So like in the sense that the feeling you get of a novel is like you feel informed afterwards when you read a nonfiction True. narrative. Uh, a non-fiction book like this. This is like four if you're years interested, of stuff, you know, it's real. Four curious. years. We can't wait four years. People want content now, Solo. Now. Well, nah. The th- the community, the squad knows that this is quality, <laughs> except for the occasional fuck up by Levo because you know Solo's always on point. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Where am I? Hey, where am I? I where, where am my money at? I was here last week. First we hit him with the Duke and, and then we dropped some Mario Kart for myself. Anyway. Is that still running? That's all I got. Yeah, I appreciate you bearing with um, us. And yeah. right, I mean, closing comments, check out this fucking book, Console Wars. Blake J. Harris, forward by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, details the narrative between Sega and Nintendo, 1980s, 1990s. You got some? And stay tuned for a couple of uh, new segments that we may try out uh, before a big announcement that we want to make uh, in regards to the future of people like games and what is to come for season three, because as you know, 30 episodes is our seasons and we plan to do something pretty big. Remember, if you go back to episode 26, you can see that Lilo said that he wanted to do 25 episodes and we agreed on 25 and then I arbitrarily switched it to 30. And Classic solo. that's what we're going with now. Classic fucking so, solo. Son of yeah, a Exactly. So 30 episodes, so we're, we're, we're approaching 60. So, you know, just, a, just ahead of time, notice that shit be coming. Things are moving. Things moving. Things are happening. Thank you for anyway, listening. Anyway, I guess I'm just rambling. Lilo, you're the one who has to close us out. This man's trying to hurt me up. I'm like, I'm you're the closer. I'm trying to you up so I can start talking, man. Thank you I'm, for I listening. don't got shit to say. <laughs> I can keep good. talking. Keep it, keep it closed. All right, we got this. Um, thank you very much for listening. Of course, reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, feel free to leave some comments leave some love on SoundCloud check out the Reddit PLG people like games check out any of that content and uh, we'll be sure to get back to you see you next Wednesday peace